0: I was raised on a farm so many times my dad would have my two brothers and myself out in the field hoeing the corn, hoeing the beans, picking the tomatoes. I always hated to pick the tomatoes because I knew if I picked too many, it'd mean we'd have to can them. Remember so many times out in that garden, I can see dad today bent over the work of Pulling all the weeds and thinning out the carrots. And I'd get hungry. I'd say, Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, what ray? I'm hungry. He'd answer, keep at it. A little time would go by. I'd say, Daddy, I'm thirsty. Keep at it. Dad, isn't it time for a break? Keep at it. I came to a point where I thought my dad was only able to say one thing. Keep at it. Now, you want to learn how to pray? Keep at it. You want to reach the throne room of God? Keep at it. Jesus' heart was hurting. he just gotten the word that John the Baptist had been executed by Herod. He withdrew immediately to a quiet place. He needed some time where he could enter into the presence of his father. He needed ministry. But the people saw him going and figured out where they could find him. And so when he crossed over the lake, there were already crowds waiting for him. He had compassion upon them. He healed their sick. Finally, evening was approaching. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. There's just something wrong in that statement. When you know Jesus, you know he never sends you away. He's always saying to you, come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, come unto me. Jesus is never saying, leave me alone. I'm too tired. Jesus always is saying, come unto me. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to give them something to eat. But he wanted the disciples to figure out what they were going to do. They had five loaves and two fishes. And any normal person would have said, that's not enough. Send the people away. But Jesus said in verse 18, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces, one basketful for each of the tribes of Israel. There was enough food for all of God's people. There were 5,000 men besides women and children. There were at least 15,000 people in this congregation. They all had all they wanted to eat. There was plenty for them. They were satisfied. Jesus never sends his people away hungry. He always meets them and ministers to them. If you know anything about Jesus, you know he does not shut you off. He doesn't bring condemnation into your life. He doesn't point his finger and say, look how you messed up. He never does that. The devil always does that. Instead, he'll say, come here. Come here. I want you to understand this today. If you're moving away from Jesus, it's because you've been listening to the devil and not to the voice of Jesus. He's always saying, come here, I have something for you. Now, we have four of the most precious granddaughters. Now, those granddaughters are being trained so beautifully by my sweetheart. They get these packages in the mail. And on the outside of the package will be drawn hearts, magic markers, funny animals, giraffes, all kinds of things. And, you know, inside that package will always be a little bit of candy, not much, just a little bit of candy a stuffed toy, a book, a pencil. So when they see Bama, you know what? They all want to hang around Bama. And they immediately will say to her, "Mama, when do I get my next package? <laughs> That's the kind of attitude we need to begin to allow to develop in our hearts about Jesus. Jesus. So that we recognize constantly he's sending us these packages. And they're all dressed up so that we may not even recognize they're from Jesus. But always there's something that will catch our attention. Something that feeds us in our inner person. Did you know Jesus even has your hair counted? That's what the scriptures say. He's even counted the hairs of our head. He knows every part of our being. He knows us. By the spirit that dwells in us. And he has only one thing in mind. And that is to prepare us to live for eternity in his presence. He has such riches he wants to pour out into our lives. So when we think about Jesus. Immediately the question arises. Is he going to give us cod liver oil? Well what would you think? Our granddaughters would feel like if every time they got a package from Bama, there was a fresh bottle of cod liver oil in it. They would run. They would say, we don't want that cod liver oil. So how is it that when, when we get packages from God, we always expect it to be cod liver oil? That's not the heart of Jesus. He's about drawing the hearts. of of his children into his heart. That's who God is, merciful, kind, full of love and compassion. He loves his children. Now, there are times when your child becomes very sick and you have to give him that cough syrup or you have to give him some other kind of medication. There are times when a child disobeys but I have to tell you, out of my own experience, when my father would whip me, you know the strangest thing happened? After I got over it, I wanted to go sit close with him. I wanted, to, I wanted to have him put his arm around me and tell me that he loved me. I wanted him to pull me up on his lap and open his big Bible. That was my favorite time with my daddy when I was a little boy, sitting on that big lap with his arms around me, opening that Bible and and sharing with me scriptures, and he would read them aloud to me. And then he would ask me, Ray, do you understand what that means? That was precious time for me. Now, I tell you, I always wanted that a lot more after I'd just been punished. (laughs) The heart of Jesus is not to always be whipping us. The heart of Jesus is not to always be giving us cod liver oil to drink. Yes, there will be times when the scriptures say we're going to get a spanking from the Lord. I get my share. There are times when I'm going to have to take the medicine. But always it's when I deserved it or when I needed it. But what I need more than a whipping and what I need more than cod liver oil, I need to understand the heart of Jesus to absolutely draw me into himself and to love me. Now, Jesus didn't need to feed these people. That wasn't on the menu. He'd already healed all their sick. But you see, Jesus knew there was something very special, particularly in that culture, with breaking bread together. If two enemies sat down and broke bread together, they could not be enemies. There was a recognition of brotherhood in the breaking of the bread. So Jesus' heart was not to preach to them. Jesus' heart was not even to heal all their sick. Jesus' heart was to sit down and break bread with them. And to symbolically say, I have 12 baskets left over. I have a basket for each of the tribes of Israel. Now you recognize a short time after this for the Gentiles... He also fed them. And this time there were seven baskets left over for the seven cities of the Gentiles. I live in one of those seven cities of the Gentiles. The heart of Jesus is to sit down with his people, to sit down with the Gentiles, and to break bread, to bring them into himself, to be family with them. Everyone is finished eating. And Jesus now, in verse 22, makes his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. You understand, we're told in the scriptures in several places why he forced them to get into the boat and go and why he dismissed the crowds. They were going to try to force him to become king. And Jesus had no heart to become king. He had to die on the cross first the disciples would have participated with the people in trying to force Jesus into becoming a king because their heart was a king that would destroy the Romans. Jesus knew that that was not what the kingdom of God was about. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. The disciples he sends out to row the boat against the storm because that's all they were capable of doing. But Jesus went up the mountain to meet with God. Now you have to answer the question. Are you only able to handle the everyday duties of rowing the boat? Or are you at a place where you're finally tired of rowing the boat? And you're ready to see the manifestation of God's glory in your life. If you're ready to see the manifestation of God's glory in your life, you're going to have to start climbing the mountain of prayer. You can't climb the mountain of prayer and row the boat at the same time. There has to be an understanding that now I'm going to have to come apart. I'm going to have to carve that hour a day out of my life. That two hours, that three hours a day, I'm going to have to carve that time out. And I'm going to have to begin to climb that mountain of prayer. Otherwise, you're going to spend all of your life rowing the boat. And complaining while you row it. And looking at your blistered hands. So that your whole life is just consumed with rowing your boat. Some of you, you're consumed. That's all you can do is row your boat. What does Jesus do? He comes walking on the water. Now, why is it that the disciples have to row the boat while Jesus just comes walking on the water. Because one was in the prayer mountain, and one was out rowing the boat in the world. God's trying to raise up some water walkers in this house. But you can't be a water walker till you've climbed that mountain of prayer. And some of you are saying, but I don't know how to pray. All you have to do to pray is keep at it. The Holy Spirit will teach you how to pray. If you're willing to press into Jesus and you're willing to lay aside that time, you're willing to come into His presence and just sit in His presence and say, Lord God, would you begin to bring your burden on my heart? Would you begin to bring on my heart what you're concerned about? Lord, I just lay aside my rowing of the boat. I just lay aside all of that work that I've been engaged in. I'm going to be centered. And focused on you, Jesus. I fix my eyes on you. I'm not going to turn to the right or to the left. I'm going to look at you, Jesus. I'm not going to look at how I mess up. I'm not going to look at the condemnation of my mistakes. I'm going to only look at you, Jesus. And I'm going to climb the mountain of prayer. Now, please understand. If you've never climbed this mountain, it's blood, sweat, and tears. Once you get there, It gets a lot easier. You begin to pray and the devil tells you, you know, this is stupid. Nothing's happening here. If you want something to happen, go make it happen. (laughs) What do you say to Jesus? You're hungry, Jesus? Don't pray. Turn these stones into bread. Go ahead and just take care of things, Jesus. It's always the same. That's always the word of the devil. He'll come and say, what you're trying to do is impossible. You better go get some work done be responsible. you're not responsible when you're in the prayer closet. That's what the devil always says. Oh he'll send the telephone. he'll send a mailman to your door. he'll send family. he'll cause somebody to come who needs something. How could how could I ever tell? my little girl I'm sorry daddy is praying now. And you're not allowed to come in. This is God's time with me and my time with God. Isn't that cruel and unusual punishment? No. The devil will send the most innocent of people to interfere with your time with Jesus. And so don't be mad at the person who comes. Just decide ahead of time you're not going to be distracted. So the door will not be answered. The telephone will not be answered. The cell phone will be turned off. In other words, I'm here for you, Jesus. I'm not here for anybody else. I'm not here while I wait for somebody else. I'm not here because I have a few minutes of spare time and I thought I might kick in with you, Jesus. I'm not going to shoot prayers at Jesus as I'm driving down the street. I'm not going to expect Jesus to chase after me like some kind of dog after a car. I'm going to go into the prayer closet and I'm going to climb that mountain of prayer by giving Jesus my full attention. And I'm going to ask him, what do you want me to pray about? And I'm going to wait upon him for that clear word about what I'm to pray about until he gives that to me. And while I'm waiting for that clear word, I'm going to be reading the scriptures. So maybe that time will go by and I have not prayed one thing. I've just read the scriptures. Don't be concerned. Moses sat up on that mountain for a whole week and God didn't speak once. I mean, today we expect, okay, I'm here. God talk. Do something for me, God. I'm impatient. I've got to have it now. If my Big Mac is not coming my way, then I'm out of here. No, when we go into the presence of God and we begin to wait on him, now we have submitted to him, and he'll choose when to talk and when not to talk. He'll choose what to say and what not to say. This is his time, not my time. So I don't come barreling into the prayer closet with my list of wants and gimmies. I come into the prayer closet, humble of heart, saying, Lord God, what do you want to say to me today? You ever go to your mom or dad, and just very quietly and simply say to them, is there anything you want to say to me? I used to do that to my dad all the time. And I'll tell you why. Because I knew dad knew things I didn't know. And so I would come to him after a worship service. Whereas a little boy, I'd been given the pulpit to preach. And my dad would sit on the platform behind me. When I'd get home, I'd get off by myself with my dad and I'd say, dad, is there anything you want to tell me? And he generally had something to tell me. Coaching on how I'd behaved, what I'd said, what I'd not said. Suggestions. Those were precious times with my dad. Where you go into the presence of Jesus and you say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? And sometimes he's going to say, nothing. Nothing. And sometimes you're going to be enthralled as he unfolds before you mysteries and hidden things that you could not have imagined. I have to confess to you, the Lord told me some 10 years ago to begin reading the Bible through. If I wanted his power, he said, read my word. And so I'd read his word through. Five, six, seven times a year from Genesis to Revelation. I'd read it through and I'd read it through and I'd read it through. And this year I got an attitude with God. I just started. I'd read Matthew and I'd flip over and I'd read Acts. I just read whatever my fancy was to read. This was after I'd read it a couple of times. I was praying one day. Lord said to me, you're tired of reading the scriptures, aren't you? I said, yes, Lord, I'm bored. I'm bored. They're boring to me. I'm not watching television and I'm not going to the movies and I'm not searing my mind with anything. I was just bored. I've read them and I've read them and I've read them. And I come to the chapter and I say, I know what this is going to be already, Jesus. Why do I need to read it again? I've read it already this year. How many times? Didn't say anything. Didn't say anything. And suddenly, it's like the windows of heaven opened up. And he brought me under that banner of love. And he began to open divine revelations that I'd never imagined before. That's when he opened this whole issue of of made righteous. I mean, I've read the scriptures through so many times. I've read from Genesis to Revelation. I know I've read it through more than 50 times. But every time I'd read it, I'd read it with my old understanding. So that I would read the book of Romans and I would understand the scripture to be saying justification, positional righteousness. My eyes had a, a veil. Now I knew that we weren't supposed to be walking in sin and I preached here time after time. Don't walk in known sin. Don't be in rebellion against God. But the unveiling of the biblical base for this Was hidden from my eyes. And when I finally said to the Lord. You're boring me with your scriptures. He was just waiting for me. Because I'd been crying out that Jeremiah passage. Saying show me things I don't know. Show me great and mighty things that I don't know. And suddenly the veil is removed. And I begin to see that there is no positional righteousness for the Christian. There is only real righteousness. There is the glory of being changed and transformed into the likeness of my Lord. I don't have to walk in the bondages of sin anymore. I don't have to walk under condemnation. It's not a shell game. He comes and transforms me and makes me into his likeness. He delivers me from the enemy's hand. Now, I don't have to wait for some time over there. He delivers me now from the hand of the enemy. Oh, that was glorious news to me. And that glorious understanding came out of the mountain of prayer. Now I wanted to share this with you because it's important that you understand you don't have to protect God's feelings. <laughs> God can take whatever you need to say to him. Now, you understand he'll deal with what you say. But he can handle what you say. What would you think if I said that Jan and I never, ever have a disagreement? You'd say either it's a very boring marriage or you're lying because there are no two people who are not going to have disagreements. The excitement comes in how you handle the disagreement. You think you can be with the Lord Jesus and not have a disagreement? So when you're with Jesus, you can say to him, Jesus, I'm just bored by your word. I've been praying and I've been reading, and it's getting dry to me because. I'm just not being quickened by your spirit. Would you change this? What do you have to do in me, Jesus, so I can read your word and have it come alive? Suddenly, everything changed for me. And now, my wife couldn't get me to lay the scriptures down. She'd ask, Ray, could we go over? I need to go to the grocery store. Would you mind leaving the scriptures and coming with me? Sure, I'll be happy to, honey. I get in the car, and I'm carrying my Bible. We get to the grocery store, and I say, it won't take you long, will it? I'll be right out, sweetie. I'll take your time. I'm sitting there in the parking lot reading the Word. I can't put it down. Wherever I go now, I have to take the Word with me. I stop at a stoplight, and it's too long. I'm trying to open my Word because I'm looking. It's all new to me now. Everything he's saying is new. It's fresh. Why? Because I finally got the courage to just say, I'm bored with you, God. I got honest with him. Now, some of you have done that, and you've said, okay, I'm leaving. That's the end of prayer. If you want to pray, you're going to have to stay in his presence and be honest with him about what's really going on in your heart. That's what I mean when I talk about climbing the mountain of prayer. Some of you have said to me, there are thoughts that come into my mind. Thoughts that are so evil. I hate the thoughts that come into my mind. Well, there's a real simple answer to that. Get into the presence of Jesus and describe for him all these evil thoughts. And tell him you know they're from the devil. And ask him to break their power over your life. Oh, but you're going to go into the prayer closet and you're going to act as though you have no evil thoughts coming into your mind because you don't want Jesus to know. He already knows. He's already aware of every evil thought that's passed through your heart. What he wants to know is whether you know he knows. You come into the prayer closet and you begin to lay out for him, this is what I've been thinking This is what I've been feeling. I don't like this. By the power of the blood, would you break these things in my heart that these thoughts will be wiped out and I won't walk this way anymore? Don't you believe the power of the blood is strong enough to break and heal our thought life? Don't you believe that the blood of Jesus is strong enough to come into the inner part of a heart and wash it clean? See, we started this message by saying, keep at it. This is what I mean. Every area that would block you from the heart of Jesus has to be brought into his presence and openly confessed to him. Openly dealt with. And as that thing is confessed, as that thing is dealt with, The blood of Jesus comes in and breaks its power, and we are washed clean, and those thoughts no longer can enter our heart or our mind. See, the heart of Jesus is not to give us cod liver oil, it's not to whip us, it's to heal us and restore us, it's to bring us into His presence. Jesus intends that we live for eternity in his presence. He wants to take us home. So this time that we're living in now is a preparation time to get ready to go home and ready to be of service to him in this world. But you can quickly see when Jesus comes down out of this mountain of prayer, he just walks on the water. Nothing's impossible for Jesus when he comes out of the prayer mountain. Now, there are many examples of this other than than just Jesus. If you look in James, the fifth chapter, verse 17 and 18, it says Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. So we have the story of Elijah, and Elijah is going into the presence of the king of Israel. Chapter 17, 1 Kings. Now Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain, in the next few years, except at my word. How did he know that? Because he'd spent his time in the prayer closet. He knew that what he was speaking in the physical realm was going to take place, because God had already spoken it to him in the prayer closet. Now, he speaks this word, and immediately it stops raining, And God sends him over to the brook Cherith. And says to him, now I'm going to feed you, Elijah. I'm going to send the ravens twice a day and they're going to bring you bread and meat. It looks to me like Elijah is going to starve to death. What chance is there that a raven is going to release bread or meat? That is totally against their nature. I've always liked to think that the raven flew in to Ahab's house and stole the food off his table. Twice a day, that raven came over and bombarded him. Look at this man, scurrying around in his robes, raising dust, racing around to catch his food before it gets gravel on it. He doesn't want his food in the dirt. I don't know, maybe the ravens came and handed it to him. God has a sense of humor. He probably was bombarded. Now he sits here, and the scriptures say the brook dried up. Now it looks like he's going to die of thirst, and he's the one who prayed for the drought to come. And now he's going to die as a result of his prayer. He sits there and waits. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't get out and row the boat. He climbs the mountain of prayer. The Lord speaks to him and he goes to the widow of Zarephath. There's another story. Daniel, he's thrown into the lion's den. And as he's being thrown in, the king is saying, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. He should have been eaten by the time those words were spoken. <laughs> They threw this 80-year-old man down in the pit. He should have broken some bones falling into the pit. I don't know. Maybe he landed on a lion. He should have been eaten. He was the morsel they have been waiting for. You see, Daniel prayed three times a day. Daniel was in the lion's den because he prayed. Well, some of you today are in the lion's den because you haven't prayed. Isn't that something? Go to the lion's den because you haven't prayed. I'll tell you what, the lions will eat you. No, we're supposed to go to the lion's den because we've prayed. Because we've prayed. God is laying on this church a burden for the lost of Washington, D.C. and of this nation. Now, some of you... Get mixed up in this. You think you still have to be about rowing your boat. That that's where all the security lies. Your security does not lie in rowing your boat. Your security is in the prayer closet. You go out to do what the Lord has told you to do. And then the lions won't eat you. You go out and do in the world what Jesus has sent you to do. And he'll make sure the ravens feed you. You walk out into that world without any sense of your self-importance. With no attitude. With no claim. Except that you're a servant of the Most High God. And your water will begin to flow. That's how God works. We get that mixed up. We think, oh, I can't afford to be in the presence of God and I can't afford to pray because I've got all these things I have to do. Then go get your hands blistered because you won't be walking on water. You'll be rowing the boat. I confess to you today, I'm tired of rowing the boat. I'm not rowing anymore. I'm only going and doing what Jesus sends me to do. I'm only speaking what Jesus tells me to speak. And my eyes are on him. I'm not going to look away from him. I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to have that time in the prayer closet every day. And I'm going to ask the National Prayer Chapel to make a new covenant with me. I'm going to ask you to covenant with me to be in your prayer closet a minimum of one hour per day. One hour per day. Minimum. Minimum. I'm asking you to write it as a a covenant with God. I'll tell you why. The Lord has asked this church to receive a missionary offering on December 24th. A missionary offering for national radio. We're on 15 stations now. And we cannot afford to even pay that bill as of the new year. So we're either going to allow ourselves now to die in the desert. Or we're going to become the national prayer chapel. We don't have any options here. Either we begin to learn how to touch the throne of God and walk on water. Or we're in serious trouble because we'll be off air the first of the year. That's not going to happen without at least an hour a day covenanted with the Lord to bring revival in America. Is it too much for us? to spend 1 hour a day praying for revival in America Jesus said could you not even tarry with me 1 hour they couldn't tarry with Jesus an hour and so they betrayed him they denied they knew him they ran if they had taken that hour to pray they would have stood with Jesus they would den- they would not have entered into temptation They would have been faithful to their master. And much hardship would have been avoided in their life. So today, will you join with me and with Pastor Jan? Will you covenant with us to climb that mountain of prayer? That doesn't mean you have to know how to do it. It just means you keep at it. It just means you set aside the time and you say, Look, this is the time. I'm going to do this. Even if it kills me, I'm going to do it. Now, when I began this process, as a pastor, I never prayed, except publicly and shooting prayers at God. And I determined that had to change. And I read that passage of Scripture, Could You Not Tarry, one hour. And so I made a covenant with God to pray for one hour a day and I set the alarm clock for that hour. And as you've heard before, after 10 minutes, I had nothing to say and I was in trouble. I didn't know how to pray for an hour. I thought I had to do all the talking because God never showed up. I was wrong. I began to learn how to read the scriptures aloud to Jesus. Do you know how he loves to hear you read the Psalms to him? Jesus loves the Psalms, and he loves to have his people read them aloud to him. As you read his story aloud to him, and you say, Lord, would you speak to me about this? Would you quicken my heart as I pray? And your prayer is the reading of scripture back to the Lord out loud. Oh, and as you do these kinds of things, your spirit is quickened. Your heart is lightened. You come into the presence of God. The promises become alive to you. They're filled with light and glory. You can't do this in five or ten minutes. I soon began to discover that an hour wasn't enough time. Two hours wasn't enough time. I had to to listen carefully to Jesus when he told me to leave the prayer closet. And, you know, it's an awesome thing to go into the prayer closet and have the Lord finally say to you, Ray, you've got to get out of here. You're going to be late for my appointment. I mean, those of you who are married, don't you remember times when you were supposed to go somewhere and you were making out with your wife? And she finally would say, come on, get out of here. You're going to be late. So as you're running for the door, she's trying to get your hair back in place. And she's trying. Am I speaking like a stranger here? (laughs) Do you understand the intimacy with Jesus? That when you're in his presence, he'll finally tell you when it's time to go. And he'll get your hair fixed understand, Jesus wants to be with us. He loves us. He loves to spend time with us. His heart's desire is for us. He died for us. And he wants us to come into his presence and just love him. He wants to share his secrets with us. He wants to speak to us kindly. See, some of you have not had enough love time with Jesus. So when he has to discipline, you think he's just a big meanie. Because you haven't had enough love time with him. But as you spend that time with him and his presence comes into your life and he lifts you into a new place with him as he unfurls his word and begins to reveal things to you. What glory. What glory. You see, I'm going to plan on spending eternity with Jesus. I don't belong to this place. I don't belong to this land. And what I want to know is what's going to land me safely on that happy shore. Everything else is immaterial to me. And what I know will land me happily on that shore is the heart of Jesus who bled and died for me. That's what will get me through. So today, would you just let Jesus love you? He'll get the discipline done when he needs to. But today, just let him love you. Let him put his arms around you. Let him minister to you. Be in his presence with him. Don't let anybody distract you. Don't let anybody take your attention away. Sometimes he'll step in and discipline you and he'll say, Stop that. Why would he do that? Because he wants us. He wants us. He loves us. So, what do you think? I go home this afternoon. I want to be with my computer. <laughs> I want to be with my bicycle. I want to be with something else. What's Jan saying? Ray, don't you want to be with me? Don't you want to be with me? Aren't I more important than the computer? Aren't I more important than the bike? Can't we go ride together? Don't you want to be with me, Ray? Now, I can guarantee you Jan's not going to have to say that. I've had too much good time with her. I have too much history with her. I know that my greatest joy after I go home is to have some time with my sweetheart. We'll want to talk about the service today. We'll want to pray together about what happened We'll, we'll want to come into the presence of Jesus and begin to name you all. Oh, it's amazing what comes out when we start to talk about you with Jesus. I mean, he tells us what to pray. We don't gossip. We just talk to Jesus about you. When you begin to come into the heart of Jesus, there's simply one thing you have to do. You have to keep at it. Not let anything pull you away. Not let anything distract you. Not let any lies come into your heart. All you're going to do is you're going to stay with your eyes on his face. Not on his hand, on his face. Lord, I just know today. I love you. Lord, I love you. I worship you, Jesus, son of the living God. I worship you. Lord, I thank you for the discipline you brought into my life. I thank you for the many times you've gently spoken your word into my heart. I thank you for telling me exactly what to do with this church. Lord, you spoke into my heart last night and said missionary offering. Lord, I'd never call an offering a missionary offering. I'm too modern. Lord, you said missionary offering. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for, for the way you order my steps, the kindness of your heart, the mercy you show toward me. Lord, this congregation is the smallest of churches. We've been taken through such trials and such hardships. Lord, you've begun to reveal your glory amongst us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for choosing the foolish things to shame the wise. I thank you, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. We pray that you have been awakened today by the Holy Spirit to a new hunger for Jesus and his holiness. If you need someone to pray with you, call 703-490-8723. That number again, 703-490-8723. You can contact us by writing to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. That address again, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. Come worship with us on Thursday evening at 7:30 p.m. and Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. at the Vineyard Church located on U.S. 1 in Woodbridge. For more information, call 703-490-8723. At the National Prayer Chapel, you will find Jesus, the Bread of Life.